You're listening to audio from Grace Community Church in Anger, North Carolina. More information about Grace Community Church can be found at graceccnc.org. Thank you, Stephen Eisenberg and the benevolence team that's working hard. Uh, Stephen mentioned in the first service that the toiletry pantry came about as a result of COVID when we first started finding all these shortages on toilet paper, paper towels, those types of things. So uh, it's a really great ministry and appreciate all that they do and all that everyone who's been up here today, everybody that's here uh, in the back, up front, has put in a lot of time. Each one has put in a lot of time in preparation for this day and thank, thank you all of you who use your gifts in the different ways. One of our core values is uh, active participation by or participatory worship. It doesn't mean we have a lot of people up here. It means that all of us are worshiping together, which it seemed to me that many of you were very into the, to the worship songs. But it's every part of the service being focused. And so I'm just trying to encourage you to stay awake while I preach. That's the, what I'm trying to get at here. Well, welcome to Grace. Today would have typically been potluck day, um, but we're not doing that because of COVID. Maybe next year we'll be able to do it after the second service. Had a lot of students in the first uh, service from Campbell, a lot of new students. So if you're from Campbell and you're here today, welcome. We are grateful that you chose to worship with us. And our prayer is for you to be in the very place that God wants you to be. Um, please pray for Sam Shelton, our business administrator. He was taken to the hospital at midnight last night with COVID. I talked with him on the way to the service this morning, and he um, seems okay. They almost let him go home, but decided to keep him for a while. So please be in prayer for Sam. And then I want to encourage you again to be here tonight for Grace Matters. Um, it's really... Uh, there was a lot of connection between the sermon this morning and the Grace Matters topic tonight, which is domestic abuse. And we're going to have a couple of experts on the panel. Uh, Jamie Criswell, who heads a counseling service, and then Stacy Thompson, who works with a lot of women who have been in abusive relationships. She was in one for herself a long time. And then I'm going to be on the panel as well, so... Um, for pastoral sort of a presence and talk about how the church should respond to these kinds of situations. Well, last week our text was Psalm 110. Next week our text will be Psalm 110. Today's text, of course, is Psalm 45. Now, that might not be as disjointed as it seems uh, because both are messianic psalms and each psalm is confirmed in the New Testament to have been pointing to Jesus' deity and eternal kingship. I mentioned last week that Psalm 110 is the most frequently quoted psalm in the New Testament, which is one of the reasons that I decided we can't do this in one week. It needs two weeks. We could have taken several more. Uh, but I had planned for some time to have Psalm 45 today 
And so it seemed best to bump Psalm 110, 4 through 7 to next week. Last week, we talked about how the Bible works from the Old Testament to Jesus' teachings in the Gospels. And then in the, in the uh, epistles, we see the apostles give an explanation to how it all works together. This morning, we're going to get another 30,000-foot view, and in fact, it's going to take in even more territory. We're going to be talking about God's design for marriage, and we're going from Genesis to Psalm 45 to Jesus to, to the Apostle Paul, and then all the way to the book of Revelation at the very end. We're also going to take a deep dive here and there, and you may be thinking, how are we going to accomplish that in only two and a half hours? And I don't know, really, I, I don't know how it's going to be done. I'm kidding if it's your first time. We're going to begin by working our way through Psalm 45 with a few words of explanation along the way, without taking time to go, to go, to go deeply into the why I'm saying this. Would you take my word for it that Psalm 45 even though it's talking about the kings, is really pointing to Jesus, kings of Israel, is really pointing to Jesus and ultimately his relationship with his bride, the church. Before we begin, would you pray with me? Our Father, we confess that we cannot know you unless you reveal yourself to us. And that you have done through Jesus and, and through your word. And so as we come to your word this morning that was written maybe as much as a thousand years before Jesus ever came to earth. It was clearly pointing to him. Referring to him. Exalting him. And so Lord... As we look into your word, may Jesus indeed be exalted in our hearts, hearts and in our midst this day in Jesus' name. Amen. <clears throat> Psalm 45. My heart overflows with a pleasing theme. I address my verses to the king. My tongue is like the pen of a ready scribe. You are the most handsome of the sons of men, grace is poured upon your lips. Therefore, God has blessed you forever. Gird your sword on your thigh, almighty one, in your splendor and majesty. Now, we're not exactly sure when Psalm 45 was written, but we do know that it was read at royal weddings. And it sounds like something that would have been read at one of Solomon's weddings, one of Solomon's. Seven, I wonder if he had 700 weddings. Do you think that's the case? Now, look, I, I know I said this not, not many weeks ago at all. And I just said it in one service, I think. And we got a lot of new folks here. So I have to tell you, my first wife, Linda, who is with the Lord now, was teaching Sunday school up in the mountains where we lived uh, when I was director of TVR. And she was teaching about Solomon. And she mentioned that he had 700 wives. And one of the little boys said, Wow, he must have had a big bed. <laughs> so, uh, and, and indeed it was a bit, whew, just imagine. So, this royal psalm was read on the occasion of the king's wedding. Unlike contemporary weddings, the emphasis 
was first and foremost, primarily, it was on the groom. Isn't that interesting? And especially a royal groom. The blessing given in verse 2 indicates God's faithfulness to his covenant people by giving them a strong and godly leader. Verses 4 and 5. In your majesty, ride out victoriously for the cause of truth and meekness and righteousness. That's interesting. Let your right hand teach you awesome deeds. Your arrows are sharp. In the heart of the king's enemies, the peoples fall under you. The anointed king will be just. And if a king is to be truly just, he must be humble as well as committed to truth and righteousness. Gentle and lowly, Jesus was. And yet, full of truth. And righteousness. What are we to make of the good and righteous king of Israel attacking his enemies? Is this justified? What makes his version of truth correct and his enemy's version wrong? This level of authority is only valid. If truth and justice come from outside of our own realm of thinking and understanding. If you claim natural law, then whence the intrinsic moral judgment? How is it that we just know right and wrong inside of us? It comes from somewhere. So in other words, again, the theme, uh, uh, a theme from last week. Well, I just think we'll not do. If two people just think in very different directions, who can say? Only God can righteously declare truth, which he does in his word. The kings of Israel were appointed as vice regents to uphold and promote God's ways over his creation, especially for his covenant people. Now, in reading Psalm 45, you might begin to suspect that the king addressed here was more than just the ideal king of Israel. And in verses 6 and 7, your suspicions will be confirmed. Your throne, O God, is forever and ever. The scepter of your kingdom is a scepter of uprightness. You have loved righteousness and hated wickedness. Therefore, God, your God, has anointed you With the oil of gladness beyond your companions. Now if these verses sound familiar to you, they should. They're quoted in Hebrews 1 verses 8 and 9 to indicate Jesus' superiority over the angels. But Jesus' superiority over the angels early in Hebrews is just the beginning, believe me. As Derek Kidner says about these verses in Psalm 45, this is an example of the Old Testament language bursting its banks to demand a more than human fulfillment. Now, there are softer translations such as, your throne is God's forever and ever, and your throne is like God's throne. The Hebrew language, though, will not allow those softer translations. 
Your throne, O God, is forever and ever, is written in our, most of our translations exactly as these verses were intended to be translated. Now, it's not surprising that Psalm 45 finds little expression within Judaism. They didn't know what to do with it. How do you call a king God? Just like we saw in Psalm 110, the Lord said to my Lord. God said to God. How do you do that? I don't know, so let's, uh, uh, yeah, let's read it at royal weddings. And we don't really know what to make of it. But the king of Psalm 45 is none other than the king of kings, Lord of lords, Jesus Christ, who loved righteousness perfectly and hated wickedness perfectly. We love and hate, but we don't do so perfectly. We don't always love the right things and hate the right things. We get them mixed up sometimes. But Jesus did so perfectly. Therefore, his father anointed him above all others. Jesus Christ, 100% God, 100% man, overcame sin and death as the perfect sacrifice. And only when we repent of our sins and trust his death as payment for our sins, do we become his. Met with Isaiah Manning between the services this morning. Isaiah's going to get baptized in two Sundays. And by the way, if you want to be baptized Please talk to me before Wednesday, September 1. That's the cutoff date. If you'd like to be baptized on September 12th, that would, this would be a good time for us to talk about that. But Isaiah said, look, I know my only hope of heaven is Jesus. I can't get there by doing good things, although we know he's the perfect manning child. Um, but we all understand we really can... <laughs> Well, we should understand that what Scripture says, we can never be good enough. But this perfect king who lived, loved, hated everything exactly how he should, hated sin, not people, died so that we might have life. It is only Jesus, this king, in whom we find life. Verses 8 and 9 confirm what we have already suspected. Your robes are all fragrant with myrrh and aloes and cassia. From ivory palaces, stringed instruments make you glad. Daughters of kings are among your ladies of honor. At your right hand stands the queen in the gold of Ophir. In verse 10, the attention turns fully to the bride. Well, mostly to the bride, and then it goes back to the bridegroom. At royal weddings, this could have been addressing a foreign bride as um, Solomon married the daughter of, uh, uh, of the king uh, of Pharaoh in Egypt, or it could have been a bride from any of the tribes of Israel. Remember again, this is ultimately about Jesus and his bride, the church. Hear, O daughter, and consider and incline your ear. Forget your people and your father's house, and the king will desire your beauty. Since he is your Lord, bow to him. The people of Tyre will seek your favor with gifts, the richest of the people. 
Oh, my. Application to powers of 10, says the math whiz. Not really on the math whiz part, but really on the application. Many, many applications can be made here. When you're brought to Jesus, forget your old life and your old ways. No one loves you like he does. You are beautiful to him. The world may love your Instagram post today and hate you tomorrow. But his love isn't fickle. It's steady. It's sure. It's constant. Pray nonetheless, even if the world hates you for your attachment to him, that God will give you favor. Your heart is devoted to Jesus. Verses 13 to 15. All glorious is the princess in her chamber with robes interwoven with gold. In many colored robes she is led to the king. With her virgin companions, companions following behind her. With joy and gladness they are led along as they enter the palace of the king. Once more... Derek Kidner, quote, This escorting of the bride led to the king in her finest attire while he awaits her in full state is no superfluous formality. He's British, so he says superfluous. It is, is the acted equivalent of Paul's phrase to present you as a pure bride to her one husband, 2 Corinthians 11.2. And brings out the emphasis of the first wedding in which the la- in which God brought the woman to the man, and of the last in which the church comes prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. To do away with these elements of a marriage is to trivialize it, playing down the honor due between bridegroom and bride and the place they both occupy. In a wider circle. Close quote. I don't think I can add anything to that. In verses 16 and 17. The attention turns back to the king. In the place of your fathers shall be your sons. You will make them princes in all the earth. I will cause your name to be remembered in all generations. Therefore nations will praise you Forever and ever. The anticipation, the expectation and promise of children in this royal marriage is the smile and promise of God to his covenant people. And I will say to the single brothers and sisters among us what I have said for 23 years from this pulpit or the one over across the street. Do not wait too long to get married. Now, I'm not saying get married at 18 years old. But I am saying, don't wait till you're 30. If if the Lord brings someone into your life, it's his design for us to get married and to have babies. Lots of babies. That's not a popular stance these days, but it's God's design. If you are able, and I know some people are not able to have children, and that's okay. This is God's doing. But understand the way he has built us 
to live. It's a blessing of his design. Now, if I were to ask you, what is the big idea of Psalm 45? You would likely say the beauty and the blessing of the king, and you would be right. But there are multiple applications that we can pull from this psalm, and the title of the message gives it away. We're talking about this morning, we're going to think about God's created order writ Large. It does no damage at all to the text to put our focus here. Plus, 45, Psalm 45 is part of the story of God's design for men and women, especially for those of his covenant family. That doesn't mean it's more right for us than it is for unbelievers, but it means we need to get this right, something like David was saying. It doesn't make it more true, but we want it to be more true in our hearts. We want our hearts to understand this better. So for the next few minutes, I want to follow God's design for marriage and sexuality through the Bible and then make application. So we're going to read a lot of scripture here, and it's scripture you're familiar with, but it's important in the flow of this. Genesis 1, 26 is where we will begin. Then God said, let us make man in our image after our likeness and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over, the, live, over the, the livestock and over all the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. And God blessed them. And God said to them, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth. Now in Genesis 2. Then the Lord God said, It is not good that a man should be alone. I will make him a helper fit for him. So the Lord God caused a deep sleep to fall upon the man. And while he slept, took one of his ribs and closed up its place with flesh. And the, and the rib that the Lord God had taken from the man, he made into a woman and brought her to the man. And the man said, This at last is bone of my bones, flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman because she was taken out of man. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife. And the man, and, his, and they shall become one flesh. And the man and his wife were both naked, and they were not ashamed. From the beginning, God's design for man and woman to come together in marriage and be one flesh has, been, has remained the same all the way. Your primary focus is no longer your father and mother. It doesn't mean you abandon them. But from now on... You pull away from them and cling to your spouse, a truth that we have seen beautifully articulated in Psalm 45, which I won't take time to rehearse, but know that it's part of this chain. And by the way, it's interesting to me, in Psalm 45, he, God tells the bride to forget her people, forget her parents, and focus on him, which again doesn't mean to abandon them. But just put your primary focus here. But the primary emphasis in Scripture is for the man to leave his father and mother. And somehow it seems to me over the years that I have un experienced 
more men having trouble letting go of mama than, than women. Now, it's both ways, but it is interesting to me that God starts off by saying, a man shall leave his father and mother and cling to his wife. So, we've gone to Genesis, Psalm 45. Now we're going to hear from Jesus in Matthew 19. He was responding to Pharisees who asked him, is it permitted to divorce one's wife? And this is what Jesus said. He answered, have you not read that he who created them from the beginning made them male and female and said, therefore, a man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife and the two shall become one flesh. So they are no longer two, but one flesh. What therefore God has joined together, let no man separate. No, it's been done, let it remain. Now we're going to talk about this this truth that I'm getting ready to to state in a different context tonight. But it's really all the same thing. What you need to understand about this text is that Jesus was protecting women with this decree. People who say, well, the Bible just treats women as second-class citizens, just don't know. You can't read our understanding and our culture back into the old culture. You have to understand what the culture was. And the culture was, even in Israel, godly men and women, or so they claimed to be, um, the Pharisees had concocted ways for a man who no, no longer wished to, to remain married to his wife to, to get a divorce. They'd say it's permissible if the wife burns the food to get a divorce. And again, <laughs> women couldn't survive in that day like they can. They were abandoning them. They were allowing them to, 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 to be thrown out into a world that was harsh and difficult for a single woman. And you say, well, my wife doesn't burn the food. Ah, but does she ever put too much salt in the food? I think that'll do. Yes, you may divorce your wife for that. How ridiculous is that? Look, tonight when we, when we talk about domestic abuse, I'll say this two or three times probably tonight, but I want to make this statement. For far too long, the church has has treated abuse problems as if they are marriage problems. And they're not. They're not the same. Jesus went about protecting women, elevating their status in the society, speaking to women in circumstances that no respecting Jew would ever do. And he's saying... Here, do not just walk away for any reason. God has a design for man and woman to become one. So in this study, we see Jesus affirming God's design for marriage, which joins one man, one woman together. Now the Apostle Paul in Ephesians 5. Husbands. Love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for... Wait a minute. Paul's saying, husbands, be willing to die for your wives. First century? What are you... What? Who says this? Well, Paul said it. 
straight from the heart of God, the Holy Spirit led him to say it. That he might sanctify her, that Jesus might sanctify the church, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word, so that he might present the church to himself in splendor, without spot or wrinkle or any such thing. Remember, God is doing the cleaning up of the bride, that she might be holy and without blemish. In the same way, husbands should love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. For no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it, just as Christ does the church, because we are members of his body. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and, and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. This mystery is profound, and I am saying that it refers to Christ and the church. However, let each one of you love his wife as himself, and let the wife see that she respects her husband. So the design has not changed, and in fact, we learned that a primary purpose of marriage is to point to the ultimate relationship and the ultimate marriage between Jesus and his church, as we have just seen in Psalm 45, written as many as 1,000 years before Jesus came to earth. It will be played out in full at the marriage supper of the Lamb, Revelation 19, 6. Then I heard what seemed to be the voice of a great multitude, like the roar of many waters, like the sound of mighty peals of thunder crying out, Hallelujah! For the Lord our God, the Almighty reigns. Let us rejoice and exult and give him the glory. For the marriage of the Lamb has come, and his bride has made herself ready. It was granted her to clothe herself with fine linen, bright and pure. For the fine linen is the righteous deeds of the saints. He's saying, we've been made righteous. And all our righteousness comes from Christ working through us. And we were granted the privilege to put these pure garments on. And the angel said to me, verse 9, write this. Blessed are those who are invited to the marriage supper of the Lamb. And he said to me, these are the true words of God. I know this is a lot to absorb, but hang in there. Uh, I want to share five points of application from all the scripture that we've read today. But I'm going to limit my comments so that we can end the service by reading Psalm 45 without interruption. So if you're a serious note taker, you might just better put the pen down and pick the camera up, you know, if you want to do it that way. First, trust the character of God who designed the beginning, middle, and end. Despite recent books that give theological cover for same-sex relationships, I don't see any evidence of changes in God's design in the passages that we have read or anywhere else in Scripture. Marriage is designed to be between one man and one woman. They come together as one flesh. It's natural. Second, 
Marriage between one man and one woman is a gospel issue. This according to Ephesians 5. It is not that marriage between Christ and the church point to the real marriage of husband and wife, but it's the marriage of husband and wife that points to the real marriage between Christ and his church, which will be celebrated for eternity. A biblically based marriage points to the real deal. Third, just because you want it to be true that God accepts alternate forms of sexuality in marriage does not make it true. Just because you want something to be true does not make it true. Just because you want God to approve and affirm same-sex relationships does not make it true. You can do gymnastics, um, grammatical gymnastics in Scripture, but it's clear all the way. This thread that runs all the way through Scripture is clear. One man, one woman in marriage. Just because you may feel and think that you are a woman trapped in a man's body does not make it true. I don't wish it all to be unkind. Look, people who study these kinds of things will say a lot of things that we have accepted in our society that go against Scripture are here to stay. But one that is not is the transgender movement. There are already signs, lawsuits about people who were encouraged to have surgery, more identified with what they were thinking and feeling. You know, lots of times those thoughts are temporary and they're culturally driven. God made you like you are. And I know there are a few exceptions that are scientific exceptions that are, that, that, um, or science can point to exceptions where there's true gender dysphoria. I get that. But in all cases, God says, truth is truth. This is the reality. So I don't wish it all to be unkind or to, to, to cause anyone more trouble only to present truth and reality as it is presented in Scripture. And if you struggle, let us, not just me, let this body of Christ walk with you and help you through these things. We all have struggles that feel like they'll overwhelm us. But in the end, it is as God said it is, and either we believe it or we don't, and each of us must decide. Fourth, you may suffer persecution for confessing a biblical view of marriage. Stand with Jesus and love others anyway. Now look, this is not meant to be a political statement at all. None of this. This is all about God's design and the rebellion that we are witnessing against it. And there is a distinct possibility that if we continue to hold to a biblical view of marriage as it is presented in Scripture, that we will suffer persecution. It seems strange, but it's very 
possible that it will happen going forward. There is great danger, though, in our stand for truth that we forget our own sins even as we agree with God's design and disagree with those who refuse to accept it. David Gill, commenting on the work of French Christian philosopher Jacques Ellul, said this, quote, current events distract us from the real currents that are flowing beneath the surface in people's lives. Close quote. In other words, trade some of your online time. Trade some of your crusade time for time getting to know and to love your neighbors where they are. Love people no matter what their views. Last. Pray for the marriage supper of the Lamb to arrive quickly. The Bible ends this way. Revelation twenty two twenty. He who testifies to these things says, Surely I am coming soon. Amen. Come, Lord Jesus. And then there's another verse. I think one more verse. But this is the end of Scripture. Come, thou long expected Jesus. Come, second advent. Come, Jesus. We long to see you. Well, again, I hope this process, uh, this this, uh, time that we have spent processing this truth has been helpful. I I want us to close by going back to Psalm 45. And I hope you find it as glorious as I do. And as we read this psalm, or as I read this psalm, may Jesus be exalted in our hearts, in, in our hearts and in our midst. Would you please stand for the reading of God's word? Psalm 45. My heart overflows with the pleasing theme. I address my verses to the king. My tongue is like the pen of a ready scribe. You are the most handsome of the sons of men. Grace is poured upon your lips. Therefore, God has blessed you forever. Gird your sword on your thigh, almighty one, in your splendor and majesty. In your majesty, ride out victoriously for the cause of truth and meekness and righteousness. Let your right hand teach you awesome deeds. Your arrows are sharp in the heart of the king's enemies. Let peoples or the peoples fall under you. Your throne, O God, is forever and ever The scepter of your kingdom is a scepter of uprightness. You have loved righteousness and hated wickedness. Therefore, God, your God, has anointed you with the oil of gladness beyond your companions. Your robes are all fragrant with myrrh and aloes and cassia. From ivory palaces, stringed instruments make you glad. Daughters of kings are among your ladies of honor. At at your right hand stands the queen in gold of Ophir. Hear, O daughter, and consider, and incline your ear. Forget your people in your father's house, and the king will desire your beauty. Since he is your Lord, 
bow to him. The people of Tyre will seek your favor with gifts. The richest of the people. All glorious is the princess in her chamber with robes interwoven with gold. In many colored robes, she has led to the king with her virgin companions following behind her. With joy and gladness, they are led along as they enter the palace of the king. In place of your fathers shall be your sons. You will make them princes in all the earth. I will cause your name to be remembered in all generations. Therefore, nations will praise you forever and ever. The word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Would you remain standing for the benediction? Thank you for listening to audio from Grace Community Church, located in North Carolina. Feel free to make copies of this audio content to share with others. But please do not charge for those copies or alter the content in any way without permission. For more information about Grace Community Church, go to graceccnc.org.